Kings chapter 19, verses 15 and 16, and 19 through 21. As the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the twelve. Elisha passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what, I, what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and he went after Elijah and assisted him. Our New Testament reading is Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 and 13 through 25. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please join me in prayer as we pray for what we just heard, the word of the Lord. Our Father, as we bow before you, we're grateful for your word. Thank you for speaking to us and not leaving us to our own devices. Help us now that we might hear your word, believe your word, 
and obey your word for the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. This morning, the, the title of our message is, You Were Called to Freedom. In Juneteenth, a national holiday that was celebrated last Monday, is the commemoration of the last 250,000 slaves in the last slave-holding state of Texas receiving the word of freedom from slavery through the Emancipation Proclamation two years after it was signed. 250,000 people continued in slavery two years beyond the time they were freed. Now, who doesn't think that that is terrible to be freed but still live and act like a slave? And who doesn't think it despicable to let someone continue to think they are a slave when you know they are really free? And how wicked is it to try to convince someone that bondage is better than the freedom they now have. That's precisely the issue Paul is confronting among the Galatian believers. They were, they were not really understanding how free they really were. They were being pursued, Paul calls, Paul says, by some false brothers to take on, they were being pursued to take on Jewish customs and, and to keep the law of Moses, including being circumcised in order to say that you're God's people and that you're partakers of, in the promises of Abraham. Paul is horrified and adamant that, they, that if they did this, they would be placing themselves back into slavery. And he's also upset with the ones who were trying to persuade them to go back to the bondage of the law. Paul wanted these believers to know that faith in Christ's death and resurrection set them free and they should live like they were free. Now, it's not just the Galatians who are not sure what freedom looks like. We struggle in our understanding of freedom as well because it is easily taken as, as a foregone conclusion that the freedom Paul is talking about is the freedom that the Declaration of Independence is talking about and what the Bill of Rights outlines and what the Constitution guarantees. But the freedom that Paul is talking about is greater than the freedom those documents describe. See, living, living the freedom to which we are called means seeing how, seeing how freedom is defined understanding how freedom is to be used and how freedom is maintained. So three points, typical Presbyterian style. <laughs> now freedom defined, freedom's use, and freedom is how, how freedom is maintained. So look at verse one of Galatians five. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, defining freedom is to understand what Christ's death accomplished. Paul said it is for freedom Christ set us free. The, liberate, the liberation Christ has brought is meant to liberate. 
What is this freedom that Christ has given? Well, it isn't a freedom to do whatever one pleases, which that is, that is generally what comes to mind when you think of being free. I can do what I want, when I want, and no one has the right to tell me otherwise. And many, peop many people think that's what it means to be free. As a child, that's what I, that's what I, I thought it meant to be a grown-up. I can eat what I want, I can go where I want, I can go to bed when I want, no one is going to tell me to take a nap. <laughs> so when I left home, grown as I was, I joined the military. <laughs> the irony of it all. <laughs> Yeah. See, yeah, being, being, being free is not doing what you want. Being free is, is not the absence of restrictions or setting aside the rules. To understand the freedom that Christ has given, we need to look back at, at Paul's allegory in chapter 4. You know, and you know what an allegory is. An allegory is taking this abstract, this abstract principle or idea and, and, and representing it by characters and, and, or word pictures. You know, in chapter 4, Paul has talked about Two sons, he's talked about two women, two covenants, two cities, one city from below and one from above. One son is the child of the flesh, the other is the child of the promise. One woman is, the, is a slave, the other is free. One covenant is law, the other is grace. And from these, and from these characters and, and these word pictures, Paul concludes that since the child of the flesh is the child of the slave woman representing the law and is from below, he is cast out. He's talking about Hagar. Sarah is, Sarah is the woman who, 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 who receives the promise. Isaac is the son who is the child of promise. So Paul, what, Paul is, what Paul is saying here is that the slave is not accepted. The slave is cast out. The free woman is the one who is inheriting the promises. So this is, that's his, this is his conclusion. He says that since the child of the flesh is the child of the slave woman representing the law and is from below, he's cast out. He's, he's not to receive the inheritance along with the free, along with the child of the promise, who is from the woman who is free and who has received the gracious promise that is from above and is persecuted by the slave woman's child. And, and then he says there, here's his conclusion. So then, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. And then verse one of chapter five, Stand, therefore, in the freedom wherein Christ has made you free. So the freedom for which Christ has made us free is the freedom from the law. Freedom from its bondage, freedom from its curse, freedom from its penalty, freedom from its power, freedom that is from above, and freedom given by grace. Now, I said that it's a higher, greater freedom than the freedom that is outlined in the Constitution or what the Bill of Rights describes. And it, because, you know, so keeping, the, keeping the Constitution will not free you from the law of God. I don't hear anybody shouting, down, shouting me down with any amens. No. 
But, it, but yet, keeping, the, keeping, the, keeping the Constitution will not free you from the law of God, nor will it make you righteous. It won't free you from, 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 the, from the curse or the power or the penalty of, of breaking God's law. You see, no one, no one will make the defense when they stand before the Lord. No one will make the defense saying to God, am I not righteous? I believe the Constitution. No, you need a greater freedom. You need a greater freedom than that. The freedoms that we have in America, are they not? Oh, yes, they, they, are, they are nice. If you've ever traveled to another country, you most definitely know that, yeah, yeah you, you appreciate uh, being an American. You know, uh, but, but they don't save. And so if freedom means to be free from the bondage of the law, from its curse, from its penalty, and its power, this is what, this is what the gospel gives us. This is what Jesus has given us. And if this is what Jesus has given us, what is this freedom for? As he says to stand in it, what is this freedom for? How should, how should it be used? This is point number two. Look at verses 13 to 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Now see, Paul tells us how to use the gift of freedom by describing it negatively. He tells us not to use your freedom for selfish fulfillment. And thank the Lord, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just, he doesn't just say, don't do that. But he calls us to take, to take positive action. But through love, serve one another. Stop doing this, do this. And so freedom is to be used not for yourself, but used in loving service to one another. That was a radical idea then. It's still a radical idea in our society today. Because you know, the typical way of thinking about freedom is that you do use it for yourself. It's my liberty, it's my life, it's my happiness. And, and the expectation is that society and, and friends and, and family serve me and my desire. And with these verses, what these verses are, t are saying to us is that the best use of freedom is found in, in loving service to one another. My life for your life, my liberty for your liberty. My happiness for your happiness. And anything else, that, anything else, the community will self-destruct and collapse. And isn't that true? Isn't that, is, that what we, is that what we're seeing in, 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 our, in our own? I mean, if, if you don't have to look at, look at history much to know that that is exactly what takes place. So indulging, indulging our desires for purely selfish reasons doesn't build up community. A husband who demands that everything goes his ways will destroy his wife and children. A single person who wants everything to go their way will not have many friends. Then if the understanding of the, of the use of freedom is just the mutual commodifying of, of relationships, that is, that's to say that, that what can you do for me right now type of interactions, and it won't be long before you wear out friendships, you, you, cut off, you cut off love, you burn out 
and you're bored. This is just for an example in one area that if you misuse freedom, you'll find that it doesn't bring fulfillment. In an opinion piece a couple of weeks ago in the New York Times, Christine Imba, she makes this observation in her piece titled, Straight People Need Better Rules for Sex. And she writes this. She says, in every other situation common to the human experience, eating, drinking, exercise, even email, we have come to realize that limits produce healthier results. It's unlikely that sex and relationships are exceptions to the rule. An unrestrained sexual culture hasn't necessarily led to better sex for all or to better relationships. In many cases, it has inspired numbness, callousness, hurting others and being hurt. And rather than being titillating, sexual overload has become boring. She's right. But do you hear what she's saying? She's saying restricting freedom is healthier. That, that treating one another as, a com as commodities, it's not strengthening, but rather it, it makes us callous. It makes, it's hurt, hurting and being hurt. So you can, you can see how what scripture is, is saying, it was radical then. It's still radical. It's still radical now. And the right, use, the right use of freedom, the best use of freedom, is to render loving service to one another and anything, anything else, and society collapses and self-destructs. Freedom defined. Freedom defined is to be set free from the bondage of the law, its curse, its penalty, and power. Freedom's use is best expressed in loving service to one another and understanding how, just how radical that is, that, that the call to freedom, your call to freedom is a radical call. And, and it's, easy to, it's easy to see that we have, not, we have not maintained freedom well. We've had fits and starts, but we have not maintained freedom, and particularly the freedom that, that the scripture is talking about here. Because freedom, let's think about freedom maintained. Look at verses 16, 18, and 25 to 26 of, of uh, Galatians 5. Verse 15, verse 16 rather, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And in verses 25 and 26, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And see, these, these verses let us know that maintaining freedom. It's not from our nature. It's not from our nature, but it's from the Spirit of God. Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Keep, live by the Spirit. The ability to maintain freedom is from God himself. Now, isn't this good news? That God, what God, what God has called us to do to, in, this, in this call to freedom, to stand in this freedom, that he knows we don't have the power to do it. But he empowers us to do it. He empowers, he empowers us to do what he commands. Hallelujah. But this means that by faith, you need to surrender everything to him. The control, control of your life needs to be given to the Lord. Everything you think you are needs to be given to the Lord. 
And why is that? Well, it's because it's because you're recognizing and in giving everything, you're recognizing that there is no freedom apart from the Lord. In the Lord, you are freed to be free. Now, somebody might ask, well, how can, how can you give everything to the Lord? Well, Elisha is the perfect example in 1 Kings 19. Because when the call comes to him from the Lord through Elijah, what does Elisha do? He said, look at, look at verses 20 and 21 of, of 1 Kings 19. He le- and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And, and he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Now, that's, this sounds, it's, you know, you might want, well, what in the world is that little story about? You know, so Elijah is living at home. You know, he's not, he's, he's not 15. He's past, he's past the age of, of insurance. You know, and his family, his family has some wealth. His family has some, some wealth because you know, they, had, they had 12 yoke of oxen. And he's, work, he's working in the field. And, he, and, and here comes, the call comes to him. And what does Elijah do? He sacrifices. He sacrifices everything. And he makes his sacrifice public. He throws a party and for the for the community. So and then he leave, he leaves mom and dad, and and all that burning up of the, of the yoke and and and, and the oxen and the, and them celebrate all of that is to say, there's no return. I can't go back. But now he serves Elijah. And see, here's, here's, a, here's a principle about maintaining freedom, that, that the maintenance of freedom re- always requires a sacrifice in order to serve. The maintenance of freedom always requires a sacrifice in order to serve. What do you need to sacrifice to maintain the freedom that the Lord has called you to? There's no freedom like that which Christ has provided. And he has given us his spirit. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this, Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Therefore, freedom's maintenance. Freedom's maintenance. Walk by the spirit. Be led by the spirit. Keep in step with the spirit. Your happiness, your happiness and the community's happiness depends on the freedom that Christ has provided, a freedom expressed through his people. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity talks about happiness and freedom. He says this, the happiness which God designs for his higher creatures is the happiness of being freely, voluntarily united to him and to each other in an ecstasy of love and delight compared with which the most rapturous love between a man and woman on this earth is mere milk and water. And for that, they must be free. So what are we to make of this? Well, do you see how important the call to freedom is? But this, the call to freedom, it's nothing less than the gospel. Freedom is important because Christ died for us. So you want an application? Here it is. Answer the call. 
If you answer the, answer the call. Furthermore, since Christ died to free us, then living this freedom is both an obligation and a privilege. So announce the call. Announce the call to freedom to all the, those who don't believe, to those who are, are still under bondage. Well, how cruel is it to let somebody remain in bondage when they're freed? And then advance the call. Advance the call of freedom. Rejoice. You are free. Joyfully. Advancing the call is joyfully serving one another. Is, that is the best expression of the freedom you've been given. Brothers and sisters, you were called to freedom. A freedom that Christ defined. And freeing us from the bondage, the curse, the penalty, and the power of the law. And he did this by taking it all on himself. Think about this. Christ, he's the one who gives freedom its meaning. He gives it its meaning, yet he loses his freedom to free us. He's, he's freedom's author, and yet he is voluntarily fastened to a tree. He loses his freedom for us. He, he is the king of heaven, yet he willingly comes to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He uses his freedom in a never-before-seen act of love for his enemies. Isn't that what Romans 5, 8 tells us? God demonstrated his kind of love toward us in that while we were sinners... Christ died for us. And in second, or rather Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So by recognizing, by recognizing that Christ uses his power, uses his freedom to serve you, giving up everything to make himself a servant for your freedom, this gift of grace that he has given to us is, inspires and empowers us. See, that, that changes your heart. It changes, it changes your heart when you see what it is that Christ has done for you. That he has given up everything. He gives to us everything to maintain freedom. Christ's loss of freedom on the cross assures us of our freedom so that we can freely give ourselves without the fear of losing. Since in him we have everything. And as we come to the table of our Lord, just to note a similarity between Juneteenth and the Lord's Supper both remind us that we are free. We are, we, are, we are free. But the Eucharist is a higher freedom. The Lord's Supper reminds us of the love that set us free, the cost of our freedom, how free we really are, and the nourishment we need to maintain the freedom to which we have been called. So brothers and sisters, come to the table and eat freely. Amen.